Asymmetrical Haircuts Justice Update with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. All rise. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. We are super happy. <laughs> That's Chantal Maloney. She represents Palestinians from Gaza as victims in a situation at the International Criminal Court. And she's really happy because the prosecutor, Fatou Bensouda, has finally launched an investigation into war crimes in the Palestinian territories. This is really a milestone. What I understand working closely with Palestinian lawyers, human rights lawyers, is for them it's a huge achievement. Already the fact that finally there is an open, formally open investigation. For the first time in history, there is a court, an international tribunal, which has asserted its jurisdiction on alleged criminal responsibilities of Israeli citizens. Uh, of course, uh, also, we, we are very aware that there are also alleged criminal responsibility of Palestinians. But seeing this from uh, the perspective of those who triggered uh, this investigation, who are the Palestinians, of course, and not the Israeli, already the opening, the formal opening of the investigation, 12 years after the first attempt uh, to do so, it's huge. As she says, it is a big moment. Let's just rewind to see how we got here. There's been a lot of to and fro about whether Palestine is a state. They first asked the court to intervene way back in 2009. And after Palestine were actually given a proper status at the United Nations, they became members of the ICC in 2015 and asked the court to look back at what had been happening since 2014. The prosecutor had had a preliminary examination and had closed it because of this statehood issue. And then with this new request, it was relaunched and... And last month, judges finally decided that the court does have jurisdiction. They said they could not decide on statehood, but that Palestine had followed the normal accession procedure to the court. And as such, they could refer cases to the court, giving the court territorial jurisdiction in the case. Now, this is obviously grossly oversimplified, but to put it in very general terms, this is the decision of the judges. So what's the potential investigation actually into? As Chantal mentioned, there's a lot to this. There are many layers. Bensouda has already said that she believes war crimes have been or are being committed in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip by both Israeli Defense Forces and armed Palestinian groups such as Hamas. Also, more broadly, she's looking at crimes by senior Israelis for allowing settlers to live in the occupied area of the West Bank. And that was all in preliminary examination documents last year and things that she filed to the court. In one of Chantal's submissions to the court, together with Raji Sarani of the Palestinian Centre for Human Rights in Gaza, she describes the conflict as one of the most well-documented situations of widespread and systematic commission of war crimes and crimes against humanity in the world. And in her statement launching the investigation, Ben Souda really wanted to stress her principled, non-partisan approach, referring to Palestine and Israeli victims three times in the statement, so trying really, really hard to be balanced. Yao Ronan is Professor of Law at the Academic Centre for Science and Law at Hod Hasharon and a Research Fellow at the Minerva Centre for Human Rights at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And that tone in the statement towards Israelis who aren't members of the court really struck her. 
I think it was very different from previous statements and documents that we've received from, from the prosecutor. I think it was quite conciliatory. I mean, not, not to exaggerate. It, it's very confident. It's very decisive. But there's it's something in, in the terms and is such that seems to be conciliatory and specifically towards Israel or towards uh, those who criticize either the court or the prosecutor specifically for being anti-Israeli or anti-Semitic. And I think the, the reactions from, from the court, I mean, following the, the, the decision of the, of the, of the pretrial chamber um, last month, there were basically two types of, of reactions. One were those supporting the decision in the sense that this would bring justice to Palestinians with almost complete disregard of the implications of an investigation or any proceedings with regards to justice for Israelis. Um, and there were those who criticized the court because it was injustice towards Israel or towards Israelis with disregard for, uh, for, for the other side. And the recent statement seems to aim to remind everybody involved that the prosecutor will be looking at acts committed by both Palestinians and Israelis, and there should be justice for Israeli victims as well as for Palestinian victims. So it comes across, for example, in the fact that it that the prosecutor expressly says victims, both Palestinians and Israelis, which is language that we've not seen before. It comes across in the mention that um, she's aware of the place of the investigation in the broader context in the search for peace and security, which is you know, the terms that Israel has been hammering. So she's kind of aiming to prove that she that she's completely neutral and objective. So which specific crimes might the ICC investigate that would lead to Israeli victims and how do they interconnect? Well, I think when it comes to hostilities, to the conduct of hostilities, and, and the, the main issues there are the Gaza war in the summer of 2014 and the demonstrations along the, the, the fence since the spring of 2018, where on the one hand, we have Hamas and, and Islamic Jihad or other Palestinian groups that are uh, launching rockets and, and, and other incendiary um, devices uh, like kites towards Israel with the explicit aim of targeting Israeli civilians. At the same time, we have the Israeli uh, military using weapons against Palestinians. There, the question is whether they're targeting Palestinians combatants or fighters, or whether they're also targeting civilians. But then we come into questions of the context of hostilities where both parties or, or, or individuals on both sides um, could be guilty of war crimes. Um, that's that's distinct from um, the, the other issues that are, that the prosecutor is looking into in the West Bank, where she's looking at conduct both by Israelis and by Palestinians, but the victims are Palestinians. And I think the significant ones there are is the conduct by Israelis, specifically the settlement project and and issues relating to it, where it's obviously conduct by Israelis that is harming Palestinians. She's also looking at conduct by the Palestinian Authority where the victims are either detainees in, in Palestinian detention facilities or people that are being targeted for supposedly collaborating with Israel. But again, that would be Palestine, the Palestinian Authority acting or Palestinian individuals acting against Palestinians. At the official level, the Israeli government has been incredibly critical of the ICC's role and has really sought to challenge its legitimacy. And they completely reject the statehood of Palestine, for example. And Sharon Vile, who's assistant professor of international law at the American University of Paris and Sciences Po 
in Paris, has analysed the range of arguments that they use. Um, we're just going to cover a few of them. She points to the Israeli accusation that the court is using double standards. Um, the, the Israeli government says that the ICC has decided not to prosecute, for example, Syria, where there have been serious crimes. But of course, as we know, that misses the point that the court can't actually do anything unless a situation is referred to it. Uh, again, very broad brushstroke stuff here. And just criticising it like that doesn't negate the idea that the ICC should actually put on people on trial that it can. Another argument that Israel raises is that the ICC is not really designed for democratic states. They have a rule of law, they say, a functioning legal system in Israel, so they don't really need the ICC because it's a court of last resort. So Israel is kind of placing itself hors catégorie for the ICC. We don't need it. We have a functioning legal system. We're doing everything we should. And Sharon says that she got an immediate reaction video from the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs in her Facebook feed just after the ICC decision that uses a number of these different lines and also what she calls the victimhood argument. This is more an emotional argument, uh, which really go to the, the very um, basic feeling of uh, victimhood and of anti-Semitism. Uh, so it's to say, you know, this court was created uh, to prosecute crimes uh, grave as the one we were the victim of, uh, like atrocities of the Nazis. Uh, those are the kind of the crime the ICC should prosecute. And of course, it's not us. So there is always this uh, this approach that we are the victim and therefore we cannot be the perpetrator. And then and if we try to see uh, Israel as a perpetrator, then it go back to being anti-Semitism to go back to the victim uh, framing. So this is another kind of argument which is very strong because uh, the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs uh, on its Facebook, I don't know, I receive it in France, so I saw it in French, and you can really see the image of Auschwitz, you know, of uh, the, 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 um, the Nazi camps, and then you have those statements. So uh, it's uh, emotionally, they use picture and, you know, they, they use it uh, very strong. They, of course, they will not show picture of Palestinians uh, behind the wall, but they use uh, this picture of Auschwitz for their own positioning. And what's interesting in what Sharon says is that these different attacks actually show that Israel is still somehow in the game. It hasn't completely decided to destroy the court head on. So we asked both Yael and, and Sharon, is there a chance that the Israeli authorities will actually start cooperating with the court? Well, I think it's clear that formally the government is not going to cooperate. And I, and I think that's even been said by government officials. Even if they hadn't, it's it's quite clear because if any formal cooperation is in some sort of implicit acceptance of the legitimacy of the of the process of the institution, and this is something that the government of Israel cannot afford to do, that does not mean that it might not convey its messages through um, third parties. Um, I think, to a large extent, the amicus curiae that were submitted with regard to to the the request under Article 19.3, the, the question of is there a state of Palestine and what is its territory? Some of these amicus curiae were, were probably prompted by the government without detracting from, from the you know, authority and responsibility of those that submitted it directly. Whether um, Israel will, will impose sanctions on the ICC as the US has done, I, I don't know. Israel does not have the power that the, the, the US does and uh, I'm not sure that the US has the power that the US claims to have. 
but um, but then but it does raise the, the interesting question of if we do not if, if you know if the state does not cooperate with regard to its own uh, potential indictees, would it cooperate in providing information about Palestinians? And I think here the use of third parties would would probably be the simplest. So so I don't expect to see any direct involvement um, by the government. So sometimes you have very open cooperation, and sometimes we have you have unofficial cooperation. Okay, so uh, when we saw the UN fact-finding mission, so it's not the ICC, but it's the Goldstone fact-finding mission of 2009, or the Professor Shabbos one of 2014. So officially, Israel was not cooperating. The the the, the committee was not allowed to come in, but unofficially they were uh, uh, cooperating. So my own provision is this in this sense is that um, they will certainly provide evidence uh, for the crimes of the Palestinians. I have no doubt about this. Uh, I mean, I could imagine that they will provide evidence uh, in this matter and perhaps they will try to block the procedure uh, through complementarity. Yael, Chantal, Sharon and other people I've been speaking to all had so much more to say. I mean, there is an enormous depth of research been done in this area. There are loads of people concerned. We know that there's a lot to discuss on how expectations are going to be managed, for example, what the practical difficulties around the investigations. Um, But uh, we thought we'd also just discuss some of the more mundane stuff. I mean, Let's just start. What about the timing of this decision? What did you think, Steph? Well, in a way, it was a surprise to me because, first of all, the court broke uh, what journalists here call the Friday night curse, where every kind of major decision of the court seems to come on Fridays after 6 p.m. So we were all very happy that this came through on a regular uh, Wednesday. On the other hand, um, I had kind of... um, you know, when you work for a big news agency, you always have these kind of alerts up that if you have to send super speed uh, reports, you kind of always have them on top of your computer in case this decision comes out. And I had kind of taken the Ben Suda opens an investigation into Palestine alert off the computer because I thought that she would possibly wait for the new prosecutor, Kareem Khan, who's due to come in on June 16th, and that maybe they wouldn't announce anything new before he uh, could look at it and say, yes, go ahead or no. And the other thing we should mention in uh, Ben Suda's statement is that it was actually full of caveats, full of warnings, reminders, that not much might actually happen, um, maybe until Kareem Khan comes in, because basically she says she's got no resources. Um there might also be a load of other things that might need to be litigated. I mean, all we've got so far is this um, agreement that um, for the purposes of the investigation, Palestine can be regarded as an area that the Office of the Prosecutor can can work work on. So in a lot of ways, even though she's opened the investigation, she's essentially just said, OK, it's now going to be over to you, Kareem Khan, placing him in the hot seat. Yeah, and before uh, Khan was elected, there was a kind of whisper campaign that maybe he would be more reluctant again to go against major powers, uh, such as the US, uh, which is very opposed to this Israel investigation. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But in any case, you know, any of those formal investigation usually take years before cases actually end up in court. And we don't expect anything to happen really quickly with this. 
So good luck to Kareem Khan because the workload that uh, he faces is going to be enormous as uh, Ben Suda keeps on launching new probes. And we're definitely going to have quite a lot of work for us uh, as well, aren't we, as court reporters? Yeah, which is good because my cats have just started eating only expensive dry food for quote-unquote exigent cats. So I need the work to fund my cat's uh, new dietary habits. Okay, investigations for Stephanie's cat. Yay! Thanks very much. And we'll come back to Palestine again, sure, in the future. This will be a case that will go on for many years. So there'll be lots and lots more justice updates on this, I'm sure. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.